Welcome to Moments with Marilyn. I'm your host, Marilyn Boyer, mom of 14 homeschooled kids who love the Lord and love each other. I love young moms, and it's my passion to encourage you and provide you with tips and tools to make your job easier. Thanks for joining us. Today's session is My Kids Hate School, setting them free to explore their own passions. And before we, be we begin, let me just remind you that you can find us on our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, Spotify, and multiple other platforms. Okay, I started homeschooling in 1980, a long time ago, like 40 years ago, and I pretty much went by the books. I tell you what, when I started back then, you could not get any books. Nobody would sell to you. We had to go through a private school to get a Becca books to homeschool our kids with. There were no people that would sell to you. But anyway, I went by the books. I did what the books told me to do. I just assumed that the books know exactly what every child needs to know and how to teach it. And we've got to do everything that's in those books. So that's how I started out. But I wasn't into it very long before I realized, you know what? Each child is different. And just because the books say it, it might not be the best thing for this child. You know, curriculums were written for average kids, and I've never met an average kid. They're all unique. They're all different. So first, get to really know your child. Study them. See what works best for them. Ask them. You know, ask them, does this book look good to you? Um, you know, how do you want to study this? When I would go to homeschooling conventions, I would sometimes take my kids with me and let them look at the books and see what looked good to them. So also realize that you can't just give your kids books and say, go to your school. Because homeschooling is all about relationship. I remember one day I was pregnant and I was tired and I went into the living room to sit down. And one by one, the kids came out of the dining room from the table to sit next to mom. So relationship is an important thing. Be with them. I would try to clear my schedule for homeschooling time. I would put in a load of laundry. I would not answer the phone. I would be there the whole two and a half to three hours, which is what it took after we started doing it this new way. That was our typical day. It was two and a half to three hours. I would be there with the kids, and I wouldn't leave them because if I left to go put in a load of laundry, they totally lost their focus, and then you'd have to take extra time getting back on track. So... It's not as important which curriculum you choose as how as to how you use it. You want to be with your kids. You want to be working through things with them. And every child is different. My oldest son taught himself to read when he was four years old. We had recorded a book for him, and when we got to the end of a page, we'd say, turn the page, and he followed along, and he taught himself to read. I had another son who was kind of late. He was like eight years old before he learned how to read, but that year that he learned how to read, he turned around and taught his younger sister how to read. He'd say, this book is for you, Emmy, and he would teach her how to read. So each child's different. I let my kids go at their own pace in every subject. People would ask my kids, what grade are you in? And I would tell them, just tell them what grade you would be in for the age that you are, because they might say, well, I'm in eighth grade in this and fifth grade in this. You know, let them go at their own rate. If they love 
English and they want to be two years ahead of where they should be, that's fine. If they're struggling with math, keep them there till they understand it. Don't try to push them ahead just because that's where they're supposed to be. And handwriting, boy, I found especially for young kids, most curriculums are so heavy in writing. They would have first graders write entire sentences just to put a period at the end and a capital letter at the beginning. That's crazy. It's a lot of busy work. So instead, I would just have my kids put a capital letter over the small letter and a period at the end and save them all that writing. Now, I did have them do a small amount of handwriting every day and do it well because I wanted them to learn how to write neatly. What I found is if you give them massive amounts of things to write, they'll just scribble it, they want to get it done, they don't care how they write. So I found that a, a smaller amount is better. Require them to do it accurately, but give them a smaller amount. As far as language skills, I found, I, I really didn't start language till the kids were in third grade because I found that if you read a lot to your kids, they tend to be good readers and good spellers. So instead of, like spelling, you know, the, the books that I started out with had the kids do a pretest. On Monday, they'd do a pretest, and then they'd do activities all week long with those same words, and then they'd be tested again on Friday. Well, what I did is the kids got the words right on Monday, instead of doing all these exercises using the words the rest of the days of the week, they were done. They just learned the words that they had trouble with on Monday and test them on those on Friday. So, you know, if you look at your curriculum, you look at what you're doing, there's so much busy work that you can cut out. Math, for instance, about every math curriculum I've seen has way too many problems. How would you like it if I sat you down and said, all right, I want you to do 30 long division problems? You'd, you'd hate me. <laughs> you'd rebel. That's how your kids feel. Instead, what I would do is circle about 10 math problems a day, and I would have my kids do those problems. If they struggled and they didn't really understand the concept, we would stay there and do 10 more the next day. Stay there until they understand it, and then move on. If they understood it perfectly well after doing a couple problems, we'd go ahead and move on that first day. And when I speak to groups and kids are with their parents, when I get to this part of the presentation, they're usually elbowing their moms like, listen, mom, listen. But seriously, you know, what you want to do is challenge your kids, but not overwhelm them. If you give them massive amounts of busy work and they don't see an end to it, they're going to be discouraged. They're going to hate school. Instead, give them enough to challenge them, but not overwhelm them. Math, that's, that's so important. And then to have different expectations for different kids. Some kids love math, they excel in it, they take it and run with it. Other kids struggle with it. I had one son who struggled with the English language. He has a super logical mind. And he told me one day, he said, Ma, the guy that wrote the English language must have had a pencil in one hand and a jug in the other. <laughs> because there were all these exceptions. It wasn't logical. It didn't make sense. And he struggled. He was probably 11 years old before he really learned to read. But it was the time frame that was right for him. When he actually learned to read, he read John Locke's Two Treatises of Government that summer. So when he got it, he got it. 
But what I did for him while he was in the struggling years, I would read everything for him. I'd read his history. I would read his science to him. I would read him the sentences in language and he would be able to say this is a noun, this is a verb, but he couldn't actually do the function of reading until it clicked and it made sense to him. And that was the right time for him. You know, that same child would, I would give him a math problem and he'd say, well, mom, I think I could do that a different way. And he'd figure five different ways to arrive at the same answer. He just, he was brilliant, but he struggled with the English language until it just really clicked for him. Now, history, this is exciting for me. I hated history when I was in school. To me, it was a bunch of boring dates and facts that were unrelated to me. I could not see a use for it. However, if you teach history as what God was doing in the past, it comes alive, providential history. And also, in years, like my grandparents, the 1800s, they used to teach kids history through the stories of real people. When you do it that way, your kids will not forget those stories. It's amazing the difference. They will learn facts. They will learn about battles. They'll learn about dates in the process of the stories of real life people. Rick and I recently wrote a couple of history books for Master Books, and I think you can see them behind me, The Fight for Freedom and America's Struggle for Independence. And these are written in story format. It teaches kids about Francis Marion and Benjamin Franklin and Nathaniel Green, people that lived during that time and the struggles they went through, the battles they fought, their experiences. And kids remember that. It's almost not... It's not a drudge, you know, it's, it's fascinating. So this is the way to teach history. Um, I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. So teach to their passions. The one son that had struggles with the English language, he would have so many interests. He'd have this overriding interest for a short period of time, and that was his whole focus. He wanted to do that all the time. For instance, some of the things, this is a short list of things he was interested in. He was interested in leather work, and he used to make belts and sell them to all his homeschooled friends. He was interested in ant farms. He had an ant farm and watched how the ants built their little different rooms and things. He was into tree identification. And I remember taking the kids to Patrick Henry's Red Hill, and the girls and I were in listening about Patrick Henry, where he was out looking at the trees. And he was fascinated by that because Patrick Henry imported trees from all over on his plantation. Another thing he did was plant propagation. He tried growing plants under different conditions. He would experiment screaming at some plants and singing to others to see if it made a difference in the way that they grew. He just had all these interests. He was interested in bird watching for a while. And he would sit and hold his hand out with seed on it until the birds actually came and landed on his hands. And he was interested in all the different kinds of birds and what plants attract different birds. He actually attracted an owl to the yard once. He really did. I saw it. It was on our patio for a couple days. Um, he was interested in garden ponds. He built a garden pond, and then he got ducks to swim on the pond. He raised poultry. He raised tropical fish and sold them to the fish store. Now, these things he would do passionately for a while and then go on to something else. He got interested in hunting white-tailed deer. 
when we were studying Indians, he made his own beef jerky and he had it cooking, smoldering, whatever, out in the garden for a couple days until the dog found out she liked beef jerky and she ate it. <laughs> um, one day I came home and he had carved a mug out of wood like the Indians used to do and he was sitting there drinking milk from his mug made out of wood. Another time he made an Indian canoe in the fireplace. We had the fireplace going in the winter and he put coals in the center to make a dugout canoe. But he just had tons of interest. So, you know, if you can get the schoolwork done in two and a half or three hours a day, then the kids have time to explore the things that they're passionate about. And if they know they're going to get to do something fun in the afternoon, they'll be more diligent at getting the stuff done they might not be so wild about in the morning. One son that I had built bookcases, and so many of our friends were homeschoolers, and what homeschooler doesn't need a bookcase? So he made money building bookcases, and that was the motivation for him. He was not a real bookish guy to begin with. He ended up liking books, but as a young child, he wasn't much into books. But he was motivated because he wanted to earn money and build bookcases. And then uh, one of my daughters got interested in World War II because my dad was in the Navy in World War II. So we had talked about that. And then we went to Walmart and we saw some of these veterans with their World War II caps. And she'd say, Mom, let's go talk to them. So I'd go up to them. I'd introduce ourselves. I'd thank them for their service. And then I'd ask them where they fought um, in World War II. And then I'd ask them if we could go interview them. And she really got into this. We interviewed dozens of, debts, of vets. We would go to their homes. We would ask them, like if they fought in the Battle of um, the Battle of the Bulge, we would read up on the Battle of the Bulge before we went to talk to them so we could ask them questions and act like we knew what we were talking about a little bit anyway. Um, but it was so fascinating. We learned history this way. She learned so much history. We interviewed a man who survived the Bataan Death March. It's amazing. They had told this man that he would not live very long because of the starvation, everything that had happened to him in the prison. But he ended up living to be 100 years old. He just died this past summer. Um, it was so amazing. And he had no um, bad feelings about the Japanese. He said they were doing their job. He said, as a matter of fact, when he first got released, the Navy or Army, I think it was in the Army, thought that he was kind of crazy because he didn't hold animosity against the Japanese. But he forgave them. He said they were doing their job. We were doing our job. Um, just such a testimony to forgiveness. Oh, boy, I could tell you more. We went, we met um, a survivor of the USS Indianapolis. That was the ship that brought the parts of the atomic bomb to Tinian. On the way back, they were torpedoed. And the ship sank in, I think it was 13 minutes. So many of the men died. There were 1,100 men on board. 800 died right away. And then it was five days before they were actually rescued. They were in shark-infested waters. A lot of the men were eaten by sharks, or they just died from starvation before they were rescued. And it was a providential rescue. I could tell you all about that. But we met Mr. Harrell. And he gave us his testimony of faith in the Lord. He just said he knew that God would preserve him. And this past, a year ago, this past summer, past July, we went to the Indy reunion for the third time. And my son, my grandson Adam 
got to actually meet Mr. Harrell, and he wrote a story in our book, Legacies of Character, about Mr. Harrell's story and the faith that he showed during that experience. It's just amazing. So I really encourage you to take your kids for history to interview the people that lived it. They will learn so much about history in a way they will never forget. They will never be the same ever. I promise you that. So look for the God-given passions that God has put in your kids and then turn them loose. You provide the tools, the books, the supplies, the trips, whatever they need. But let them explore their passions. And just in closing, let them start exploring what they want to do for a living while they're in high school. My youngest daughter, the day I graduated her from homeschool, got her private pilot's license. It's something she had always wanted to do. She since has gotten her instrument certification, her commercial certification, and she's working on becoming a certified flight instructor now. But she started when she was in high school. Why not? If your child knows they want to be a veterinarian, why not let them study veterinary science instead of physics or whatever? You can switch out the subjects and do something that really speaks to them that will help prepare them for the future to do what God's created them to be. I tell you what, homeschooling can be an exciting adventure. And let me remind you that character is the most important thing you can teach your kids. Anytime you're teaching your kids character or God's word, you are not wasting your time. God's word never returns void. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you next week.